What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Welcome to episode number eight of the number one ranked show. And hey, look, I think that that is really what we're talking about in the future because Oklahoma has seven national championships. I have predicted and will continue to predict 2021 is the year it wins number eight. And I also need to say that because we got Pop Stoops on here. Like, it's, yes! Like, I, I talked to him, like, just a few seconds ago, and it's the best interview that we have done. And I don't care if I'm the only person that has that opinion. This is a milestone moment for me. It's a milestone moment for you who have been following this channel and been on this journey every step of the way. He does such a cool job of telling these stories, walking out his coaching career, talk a little bit about his wife, Carol, talk a little bit about that first staff he put together and how he feels so fortunate and how it came together. Talk a little bit about how he knew Lincoln Riley was the guy. And this is saying a lot for a man whose assistant coaching tree is ridiculous to say nothing of his actual coaching tree. You know, differences, assistant coaching tree is guys that didn't necessarily become head coaches or haven't yet. Coaching tree is guys that become head coaches elsewhere, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But I'm grateful for Coach to open up in the way that he did. And it's the first time that I've ever got to talk with him at any sort of length. So I was relishing it. And I would tell you, if you go buy his book, No Excuses, it's worth the price, especially if you're an OU fan. But if you're into coaching, huge deal. All right. So I want to keep it OU-centric in this episode. And I'm taking a look at what coaches have done at Oklahoma since integration, right? So about 1970 is where I put that mark. About the same time that the common draft becomes the NFL draft. And really, football begins to change in a ridiculous way because we just see the proliferation of more Black players at predominantly white institutions. And namely, like Oklahoma had its first Black player in 1956, right? So we could talk about Bud Wilkinson, but I kind of put him in another category because 47 straight and those championships and him really feeding the monster that Benny Owens was building, right? But I look at Coach Switzer, Barry Switzer, to those of y'all that don't know. His first four seasons, 41, 2, and 4, right? Two Nash championships. And then there's Bob, who had, I think, the best start after Barry of anybody, who's 43 and 9 to start with a national championship in there in a 13 and 0 season. And then we get to Lincoln, who is the direct successor and handpicked by Bob, who's off to a 45 and 8 start, right? But what is the one item? that we would all say, hey, look, man, we wish this was better for him. We wish it was better for us. It's his record in the college football playoff, okay? There have been two opportunities. Well, there have been one. There has been one. This is the second opportunity. For what I think Lincoln has to build and win a national championship football team, right? Many of y'all will know, or as uh, my buddy Buck will remind me every so often, how it ended in the 2018 Rose Bowl, okay? You, you, you're up with squib kick, and then you lose losing two overtimes to Jake Fromm and Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb and them doing their thing. Full marks to Kirby Smart getting to a national championship game. All right, that was also Lincoln's first year. Since then, he's made the playoff twice, right? And 0-3. But this year, I have been told by coaches – by analysts, and I have my own beliefs about how you build rosters and how you construct these things to win championships. 
that this is the year for Oklahoma to go win number eight, okay? It's not like some other places around the country where you have a blue chip roster that is so flush that all you need is experience. But even with experience, you're not necessarily going to be good. I mean, without experience, you're not going to be good. Like, for instance, 2020 LSU, super talented, right? Took five L's. Said they were going to take five L's. They took five L's. But they returned almost everybody of consequence, right? You lose Jabril Cox, you lose Terrace Marshall, Jamar Chase opted out. You got a lot of run for receivers and players that might not have otherwise. Eli Ricks is back. Derek Stingley Jr. is back. If I think that Miles Brennan is that dude, they could be there as well. I think they're going to contend with Alabama for the SEC West title this year. But Oklahoma returns a starting quarterback, right? Not a whole lot of Power 5 programs get to say that, especially with the assortment of weapons that he has at his disposal. We got Spencer Rattler, who I have as the number one pick in the 2022 NFL draft. The only other player that I think sniffs that is Sam Howell, who lost all of his weapons at North Carolina to the draft. Deami Brown, Daz Newsome. Uh, we're talking about Michael Carter, Javante Williams in particular. Those, those dudes were monsters. But at Oklahoma, you return the number one wide receiver in the 2019 class in Jaden Hazelwood. And I think this is going to be the first year we get to see him in full, right? He's going to be healthy. He's going to be full go. You're not dealing with the six-game suspensions of Ramondre Stevenson, Ronnie Perkins, and Trajan Bridges, okay? You also have a freshman All-American to go with your freshman All-American. That is Marvin Mims to tandem with Spencer Rattler. You have depth at enough position where you're going to create the kind of competition that gives you great football, right? Especially on the defensive side of the ball. It was shocking to me that Trey Brown and Trey Norwood end up getting drafted only because Parnell Motley did not. And I thought that Parnell Motley was a really good corner, right? You return some dudes and you add some dudes on that defense. They're absolutely outstanding. David Uwebu, absolutely outstanding. Deshaun White, outstanding. Perrion Winfrey, I have as a first round pick. You add Jalen Redmond, who opted out. You add Kennedy Brooks, who opted out. You have dudes on that defensive line from my man's Isaiah Thomas goes to my alma mater memorial. He's going to be a player this year. You also get to add in here Key Lawrence, right, to that defense. Justin Harrington is going to be healthy. They were been working him at corner. We'll see if he sticks there. You're going to get to see Jeremiah Cradell, a modern-day kid, come into his own. And he's going to have to, right, because Buki went into the portal, came out at Washington. But you have dudes on the offensive line, right? We all know that Andrew Rame is that dude, right? Andrew Rame is an offensive lineman who legged out a triple at Broken Arrow. I'm going to say that again. Andrew Rame was all of six foot three, 285 pounds, legging out a triple. He might be snapping the ball for Oklahoma come September. You return guys on that line that you absolutely positively needed to have for Spencer Rattler to feel like he was going to have something like protection. And then you added Wanye Morris to all of this, right? You get Chris Murray, who transferred in from UCLA, ready to play and eligible to play. This is the team. This is the one. Lincoln's got everything I think he needs, including the defensive coordinator that I 100% love and trust, right? Alex Grinch believes that football is hard, and that is the reason that he loves it. Matter of fact, favorite story about Alex Grinch. He was being recruited to play in Mal Union, and Larry Karras used this recruiting pitch. Imagine making a fist with your hand. Imagine taking that fist and driving it into Con Creek and then grinding your knuckles against that concrete. If you can do that, then you can play for me. 
Yo. So that place also produces Jason Candle, right? Head coach Toledo and Matt Campbell, who, you know, all he did was win a Fiesta Bowl, beating up Oregon, returns a bunch of his players and made the Big 12 championship game. And has really been an awesome thorn in Oklahoma's side the last three years. I mean, you get the W in 2017 on the road in Norman. You lose by basically a, a failed two-point conversion that probably should have been converted if Brock Purdy just finds the open receiver. And then you beat Oklahoma up last year in Ames in a very big way in a magical year. Those are the kind of dudes that Alex Grinch was raised around in coaching. That's your defensive coordinator. You have Brian Odom at linebacker coach, who I 100% has made that core better, right? I believe that. Calvin Thibodeau is figuring out that defensive line. We know that Bill Beatonbone makes more as an offensive line coach than Bob Stoops made in his first year at Oklahoma. Bob Stoops made $650,000 to be the head coach at Oklahoma in his first year. We got an offensive line coach that makes more than that because he's that good. This is the year for Oklahoma to go do it, and I think that is the only blemish on Lincoln Riley's otherwise stellar coaching career. Man is not yet 40, but come 2023, will have been a coach for 20 years. The only other dude that I think is like that is Dave Aranda, who's the head coach at Baylor and also probably going to present some problems to Oklahoma because that defense presented some problems to them last year. What I'm saying is you have a wonderkin at head coach and you have a group of assistants that all want that guy calling the plays. In addition to being the head coach, you've been recruiting at a high level. And this is the year for which I think that Oklahoma finally comes into what I think Clemson has had for the last really seven years. You've heard me say it before. Say it again. Clemson over the last seven years is what Oklahoma should have been. And we can basically draw it all the way back to the sweatpants bowl. For the uninitiated, that is the Russell Athletic Bowl in which Clemson destroyed Oklahoma 46, announcing itself as one of the best programs in all of college football, right? It's got national titles to show for it and handed Nick Saban the worst loss, I believe, of his entire career at Alabama National Championship 44-16. That was also... The defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, a dude that Bob Stoops recruited, a, a dude that Bob Stoops raised, and a dude that Bob Stoops watched walk out the door to be the defense coordinator at Clemson. Now you have enough bodies and men and talent to go at Brent Venables the way that Ohio State went at Brent Venables last year. And I am here for it, right? That is the only thing that I think we still need to see from Lincoln Riley. And then then it's a whole different level of football. Then you are able to compete and recruit with the likes of LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, all those teams that have won college football playoff national championships. And that's what Oklahoma wants. And that's what Oklahoma deserves. Okay. But I want to talk about and talk with the man who brought Lincoln Riley into the fold in the first place and then looked around Looked at all the guys he's coached since then, Kevin Sunland, Josh Heupel, Kevin Wilson, Chuck Long, like, and said, nope, Lincoln Riley's the guy. He's the guy. And didn't have to talk Joe C into it. Didn't have to talk David Bourne into it. They also knew this is the year. This is the year. All right. Let's talk with Oklahoma coaching legend, Bob Stoops. So it is my great privilege to be joined by former Oklahoma head coach, 
Bob Stoops, who has just joined Big Noon Kickoff. Rob, Reggie, Matt, and Brady are all returning Saturdays in the fall at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Coach, I got to ask right off top, why did you want to do this? Well, uh, RJ, good to be with you first. Um, and uh, you're doing a great job. And, uh, uh, well, you know, what What got me, it, it just, I've been out, you know, initially I was asked immediately when I retired to be on multiple different networks, whether broadcasting or, you know, uh, you know, games, live during games and or, you know, ahead of games. And, and quite honestly, when I stepped away, I was very truthful in that I just wanted my own time in my own space. So, and I politely said to him, you know, if I wanted to work every weekend, I had a pretty good job. It paid a lot more than what they wanted to pay. So, um, you know, but I wasn't, I just wasn't interested in working every weekend. I spent multiple Saturdays out on the golf course, uh, you know, when we had night games, things like that. But now being out four years going on my fifth year, this seemed like a great opportunity. Um, and I've, I've had some, some of my own time and uh, just seemed uh, really exciting with the Fox team, with all these guys that you just named, you know, are really professional, great guys, easy to be around. Uh, the, uh, the network is really wants to work with me because I'm, I'm still hesitant that I don't want to miss too many OU games, uh, not only because because of my son playing, but I, it's, I'm still very attached uh, to their success. And that, you know, the fact that I, I just want them to do well and I'm, I'm interested. So there's not a more interested fan than me. So anyhow, so all of that together, you know, Fox wanting to work with me, all of it just came together in a really positive way. So I, I'm really excited about it. You seem to have taken a little bit of time and then you got right back into some things like being head coach, Again, right? I got my Dallas uh, Renegades jersey over there. It's got my name on the back. And All right. That, that was my team. But what did you learn from that time? Well, I, I really enjoyed uh, that professional side of it. I didn't have to worry about who missed class the day before, who's going to be suspended for missing class, or who didn't make their grades, or who missed study hall the day before, or, you know, this, that, and the other. It was only football. You know, that part of it I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, older guys, mature guys that really didn't have the, you know, um, you know, just understood football, you know, easily. They've played a lot of football. Uh, again, you didn't have off field issues. It was really positive. And, and, and on top of it, a bunch of really good guys to work with, you know, and that's what's fun. That's what you miss. Everyone asked me, what do I miss most about the coaching? It was it's the the gang you hang around with every day. Not only the players, but you, you run around with, you know, 10, 15 coaches, too, that are all your buddies. And, you know, it's like my wife said, she never worried about losing me to another woman. It was to the guys, you know, just because all the, the gang of guys you're used to running around with. And, and then all of a sudden you don't have that. So, you know, so it was fun, you know, to, to work with all those guys in the XFL, bunch of great guys, professional guys. Well, and it happens in the spring. So as you mentioned, being a part of OU and what they're doing is important to you. And one of the thrills as a fan is seeing you in the box. You know, it looks like you're having a cup of water up there, watching your son play and watching the guy that you handpicked to basically take over your legacy. How do you feel in a box up there, not having any controls, but also not having to worry about what's going on? Um, it, it's, it's become easier. It was okay. really hard 
The first year I said was just incredibly terrible. The second year was terrible, not incredibly. <laughs> so a little by little, it's gotten better. Um, truly the first year I wanted to call down and remind somebody of something. And when my wife grabs me and said, just sit down, <laughs> just sit down. And um, anyway, so it little by little, it's gotten easier. You know, there's no, it, I, I'm fortunate Joe Castiglione and our athletic department and our president, Joe Harris, give me, give me somewhere to watch it safely where I can enjoy it with my family and not, you know, not be, not, not I don't mean bothered. That's not the right way to say it, but it matters to me. I want to see every play and I want to see every situation. So I can't be, I'm not up there just, you know, in a conversation with somebody or to say hi to everybody. I, I'm, you know, want to watch the game and they give me a good, you know, a great opportunity to, in a space to, to watch it in a really good way. Now, nah, coach, that, that doesn't make you any different. I think than most of us hardcore football fans, like I'm in my living room by myself. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be bothered. I want to watch the game and exactly. yeah, I'm going to participate in having things to say, but I'm not here to answer anybody's questions. I'm here to watch what happens next, but right. you getting to watch what happens next means something a little bit more, right? I don't, I don't have any baby boys. I have two stepdaughters, right? And we have lots of conversations about what RJ does for a living is watch football. But for you, <laughs> you have two boys that are very much a part of the program. And I, I want to lean into this coach. One of them went from walk-on to earning a scholarship. What does that mean for you that Drake was able to do that for himself? Well, he kiddingly said to his mother, he says, well, maybe dad doesn't have to work re- weekends and sell rock and roll tequila anymore. He's <laughs> on scholarship. <laughs> so, uh, but no, you know what it does more than anything. He's worked really hard. Uh, there's no one more committed. You know, there's other guys. We, we have a lot of committed guys, but he is one of them. And it just validates his hard work and commitment. You know, what he, how he's been playing the last several years. He's, you know, he's had significant minutes and he's made significant plays. So it's, it's exciting for him, you know. And again, I think as much as anything, it's just rewarding to him and that it validates all his hard work, you know, so he's, um, and, and, and again, I, I, you love it. You, you love it that his teammates were so excited for him as well. Well, we talked a little bit about him before we started taping, but what's Isaac doing? Yeah. And Isaac um, is a student coach for OU uh, working on the defensive side of the ball, working with the defensive backs. So it's a great opportunity for him. You know, there's, you know, coaches around the country would be climbing over each other to try and get in those meetings or, you know, or to get on the field with, with the Oklahoma coaches. So it's, he's excited about it. He's loving it and uh, learning a lot. I see similarities between your boys and how you came up and I want to take it all the way back to Youngstown. And, you know, I'm doing research preparing to talk with you. And I did not know that Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about your hometown. Did he get it right? Ah, uh, sure he did. Yeah, it's uh, just a blue collar steel mill town, and it's gone through its tough times. Back in the day, we were, I think, just just second to maybe Pittsburgh in the whole country in steel production, and um, and that and all but one of the mills has been taken away, and um, you know, so it's gone through its tough times. But it's still it's still a great town. It's it still um, holds its own. And, um, but, you know, he, he wrote about, you know, just the, this blue collar, the steel industry, the tough times that came 
And uh, but the people there are tough and they, they keep scrapping and fighting and, and making their way. And it's I'll go back. I go back. I'm at that age where I got a niece or nephew getting married about every summer. And uh, and none of them get married in the fall or none of the Stoops boys are coming. So. So anyway, I, I, I've, I've been going back every summer and I'll go back again this summer for a nephew's uh, wedding. And um, and it's great. We still I still got a great number of family there, but also great friendships that have, you know, that have, we've been forged through the years. I was fortunate, and I think many OU fans in particular, but folks that love the sport are fortunate that you wrote a book called No Excuses about your career and how you were raised and where you were raised. And one of the things that I picked up from there is just how important football was, but also your family. And I had no idea until I picked up the book that you were the third of six children in a three-bedroom house. Like, what was it like just trying to move around out there? You know, we didn't know. We, we didn't know any different. And in my neighborhood, everybody had large families. Once my neighbors to the, you know, to the one side had, uh, they had five kids. Uh, the neighbors to the next had five. We had six. But you didn't have to look. You didn't have to go far to get a game of, uh, to get a football game out in the street or to, to get a full baseball game, you know, we, we might have eight on eight and you just made right fields an automatic out if you hit it to right field, you know? So we had a lot of guys and uh, our street of guys, we would go two, three streets over and we'd play the other street in football, you know? So uh, we just, you know, we grew up in a great area and, and you're right. We had a small little home, but my dad, uh, parents were fantastic parents and, we didn't, again, we didn't know any different. And uh, all the boys, four of us all lived in one bedroom upstairs and uh, we would have a fight who had to sleep with our youngest brother, Mark, you know? He, so we had two twin single beds, twin beds, and then, uh, and then one queen. And we, we had to draw straws who was going to sleep with Mark every night, you know, the youngest. <laughs> so, but we, we had fun. My, We'd have wrestling matches up there at night. After a while, my dad would have to come up and threaten to give us one. But usually, you know, once in a while he did. And other times he'd come up and start laughing at what he saw going on in there, you know, with four of us rolling around. And then, yeah, my sisters had shared a room downstairs and my parents uh, downstairs. And that was it. But, um, you know, small little A-frame home. But it was the best. You know, we we had a great neighborhood and a great family life. And my my dad being a, not only the a football coach, he was a co defensive coordinator. He was the head baseball coach. In the winter, he would score, keep all the, the, the school's basketball games. He refereed intramural ball on the weekends. He played baseball all summer. So we, as a kid, I was on a ball field or a court my entire life. Anytime you go to a baseball game, we were allowed to go to his games. We, we'd be the bat boys for him, you know, why he was, playing he played forever until uh, he played and then he when he couldn't see the baseball anymore he went to fast pitch softball you know in his early 40s and he still he played that a year he died 54 he was still playing fast pitch softball so my point we, we were allowed to go we were at baseball games football games football practices on the basketball court while he was refereeing other intramural games you know so that's all we knew and it was the best you know it, it was um, it was a great way to grow up. For those that don't know, uh, Bob's father is Ron Stoops Sr. and defense coordinator at Cardinal Mooney, uh, along with many other tasks that 
he performed. And I want to talk about him a little bit more, but I also want to just nail this. You, you were tough, man. All right. Like, all right. So I got to, I got to quote you back to you. And I know sometimes that doesn't always make people feel good, but this is page 32 of your book. So I think we got it. I was feisty. You weren't going to intimidate me. You hit me with a two by four. I'll go find a crowbar and hit you back. It was the Youngstown way. What is the Youngstown way, coach? Well, I don't, you know, you, you, uh, you fight, you scrap, you do whatever you got to do to succeed. And you don't take it from anybody. You know, at the end of the day, uh, we, and that's all a Youngstown. You, let me tell you, you, you roll around Youngstown and through our high school years, you didn't have to look far to find a fight somewhere. So we, we were in plenty of them and, my, and our crew and different guys, but it just, um, you know, it's just that way, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm for everything that's right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, hard work, toughness, and you gotta, you gotta go earn stuff, you know, and that, that was how we were all taught and brought up to, you know, go, you know, go get it, you know, and, uh, no one's giving it to you, you know? So, uh, that was just kind of ingrained in us. No, I, and tip of the cap to you, uh, we got Ray Boom Boom Mancini, you know, had a, had a WBA title, no big deal. Yeah. He's a lightweight champ of the world for about three years. Right. Saying, yeah. hey, you didn't want Bob in the hole. Like, he, he, he used to hurt us. How does that <laughs> no. feel? Well, let me tell you this. No, Ray's, a, you know what people don't realize? Well, maybe they do, but Ray, uh, boom, boom, mm-hmm. Mancini was a, was a great athlete. He was a point guard on the basketball team, always, always, you know, and then uh, football, he was a DB and a, one of those scat back running backs, quick as all get out. You know, and uh, in baseball, my dad, even through when he started getting serious in his uh, through high school, you know, he gave up, I think, his sophomore year of football, basketball, baseball, because he was going to just concentrate on fighting. And he was in the Golden Gloves. We'd all go watch him. But my dad, being the head baseball coach and Boom Boom's a neighbor of ours, lived in the same block. And uh, my dad, you know, was always knew what a great athlete whenever he had spent time was in between fights or he wasn't wasn't training boom you want to come play my dad had put him on the pitching mound or put him out in the outfield he was a great hitter he could pitch left-handed pitcher so my dad had let him play whenever you know none of this oh you hadn't been here you can't play my dad is like yeah well you want to play come on I'll take you so anyhow we uh but but when it came to the fights where every once we'd even pair up and and box and there ain't no, but no one was fighting Ray. Okay. <laughs> no, no. He, he knew what he was doing now. <laughs> that guy, he was real. Though. So uh, great guy. And uh, still run into him when I go home. I'll probably see him again. And uh, he's doing really well living in Youngstown. So your senior year, you're 17, right? You, you're driving a, a beat, beat up pickup at the time. I think I got that right. No, and no, got, just I never had a pickup, but a uh, bunch of beat up old cars, that's for sure. Where were you looking to go to college until you got a call from Iowa? Um, I was um uh, bowling green had offered me in Youngstown State and Southern Illinois were the only three that really offered me. And then and then somewhere in that uh towards the end of recruiting. Maybe before, um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Iowa, then Iowa offered me maybe with a month left in recruiting or a couple of weeks. It was late in the process. 
And I think only because Bob Cummings, uh, the head coach, was a Youngstown guy. I uh, was a couple of years older than my father. My father played with him at East High School. And um, I, I think he just gave me a chance. He and the coaches there, you know, liked what, what I was doing and gave me an opportunity. The biggest break of my life, giving me a chance to go to Iowa. And then, uh, funny story, maybe a week later after they offered, um, Bowling Green called and they withdrew their scholarship. They, wow. They, yeah, the, the guy that was recruiting me was really great. I can't remember his name. I wish I did. Great guy. But he said the head coach thought I was too small. So I said, okay. I, my dad said not to worry. He's going to Iowa anyway. So <laughs> it's okay. So anyway, it, it was the best. Big, biggest break of my life, no doubt, going to Iowa. When you got there, it wasn't oh. exactly going well as 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 I got oh. it. You witnessed nine losses in 11 games? Yeah, we were bad. <laughs> And unfortunately, um, that staff all got let go. I think maybe with one or two games left in the year, they, you know, the head coach was fired. And, uh, and it was and not only that, were we a bad football team, then culture, cultural difference between a blue-collar steel mill town in, in East Ohio, the eastern edge of Ohio, to go out to, these, to Iowa, you talk about a cultural shock. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, man, this is, I had never, you know, been there 10 hours away. So all of that was really hard, really struggling. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I had, you know, I had to walk across, dress in the other dressing room and walk over to the games. You know, I was redshirted that year, so it's understandable. But at the end, yeah, I, I went home and told my dad at Thanksgiving that I was going to transfer. And I had why I was going to transfer this, that, and the other. I didn't, tell him I was just bringing it up that I think I should mm. and then I brought it up one too many times and I got a I can't tell you what he said to me on, on the air but uh, <laughs> I guess I can it's a podcast right yes sir bottom line is he he threw his broom down gave me a big talking to with some choice words and turned around and walked away and I was like "Ooh, I I guess I'm going back I didn't <laughs> here. that's the last time I brought it up the last time I brought it up. So some, some choice words, some tough love. I went back and, and in the spring, I earned a starting, you know, job, me and another guy, Luke King, still a dear friend of mine from New Jersey. We're fighting it out to be the, the free safety, you know, and the first game or two, uh, we split, you know, half the game. And then after that, the third game on, I started for four years as a, uh, free safety for two years and then strong safety for two years. And Lou became a corner starting all, all American corner. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, had I left, who knows, you know, where my life goes, but uh, I sure wouldn't have had all the opportunities I've had if I had cut out of there. So my, my dad giving me some tough love uh, went a long way. And that's, I encourage parents out there, anyone listening don't be afraid to, to give a little bit of tough love once in a while if you think it's you think it's necessary. I say that parents are undefeated in recruiting, uh, and many times I'm right, right? Uh, so they, no. they take an L every night. No nope. The ones that are really undefeated are the girlfriends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, is there a story you could tell us? Sadly, I've lost a few when the parents want them to come, and then they ha they didn't, but no, 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 I can't. I'm never, never going to go there on personal with anybody, but you're right. They're both, they're both hard to, hard to beat parents and girlfriends. 
Well, I don't want to skip over this part of your story at Iowa because getting to Rose Bowls is a very big deal, especially at a place like Iowa. And it, for me, says what I think is a trend of you going to programs that aren't used to winning or haven't had a whole lot of winning go on in their immediate past. And you're a part of flipping those places around, whether it's a player or a coach. And that seems to be true when you go to Kansas State, because I went back and read a couple of those Sports Illustrated articles. And I don't think I can really ascertain just how bad a state the program was in when Coach Schneider took it over and you were hired. You can't. There's no describing it, how, how down our program was at Kansas State when Bill Snyder arrived. Um, it was a time you're allowed to have maybe 90, scho- 90 scholarships at the time. I bet when we walked in that room in the spring, there were 35, 40 guys that were on scholarship. They had lost whole classes of recruits to off-field issues or to class issues. To It was just really, really in poor shape. And uh, and it just, you, you can't really imagine it. And then, and like you said, and then when I went to Iowa, they had had 17 straight losing seasons. You know, not, not just not in the bowl game, 17 straight losing seasons when I arrived there. And anyway, our third year, my uh, uh, third year, my, I was a, a junior, redshirt junior. Uh, we are co-Big Ten champs with Ohio State. And of course, we hadn't been to the Rose Bowl in the longest time, so we got to go to the we got to go to the Rose Bowl. You know, my junior year and it was great. I mean, a uh, lot of fun, great time. I mean, we beat Michigan State at home to earn you know the right to go to the our last game of the year. Snow covering the field. They had to plow the field the the field, and we beat Michigan State soundly, like thirty one to seven, and uh, earned the right to to go to the Rose Bowl. Fans storm, you know, storming down on the field and roses everywhere, roses in the locker room. It was really cool, uh, really great to be a part of that. And your GA on that famous 1983 staff at Iowa, did you? And then this is the part that I always get miffed about. You took a job at Kent State coaching outside linebacker. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah. So I, you- I was five years as a graduate assistant, volunteer assistant. at Iowa after playing and you know all those great coaches I was around Bill Snyder not only Hayden Fry but Bill Snyder uh, Barry Alvarez Dan McCarney uh, Kirk Ferentz um, you know and several of the other guys ended up at smaller school head coaches those are all guys that you know had major one division one a you know head coaching jobs and just great to me too. They're, they're all like brothers and uncles to me, you know, to the, to this day, we all stay in touch, you know, in a really good way. So, uh, so, the, but then I, but I didn't have my own guys to coach and I didn't have a full-time job. I know my parents are wondering if I was ever going to get a full-time job. I was just making ends meet painting houses in the summer, saving my money, trying to get by month to month. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, so Kent, uh, Dick Crum gave me an opportunity to uh, coach outside linebackers at Kent, which Kent is uh, near Akron. It's only 45 minutes from, from my hometown of Youngstown. So it was great to go back there and be with coach crumb. Great man, bunch of good coaches there. And I was there nine months and then Bill Snyder got the job at Kansas state. And he called me to, you know, gave me a bigger role coaching the entire secondary. And of course it, you know, in the big eight at the time. So, 
pause in your journey here for just a second and talk about this lady from Cresco, Iowa, because she's a big part of this, as I understand it, going forward. And uh, sidebar here, Big 12 Media Days 2014, I think it is, they're at the Omni Hotel, and there's also a Mary Kay convention going on. I think Coach (laughs) knows where I'm going here. But as this Mary Kay convention is going on, we're getting into an elevator with a bunch of ladies, and ladies are asking us what we're here for. We say we're covering uh, Big 12 Media Days, and it's like, is there any in particular team that you guys cover? It's like, yeah, we we, we cover Oklahoma. <gasps> Do you know Carol Stoops' husband? <laughs> That's right. Right. You got it. You got it. No, she's, uh, of course, we met at Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a few years older than her, but I, I we actually met, and uh, I was on my way home for the summer, not knowing if I was going to come back and be a graduate assistant or not. They hadn't decided yet whether you know the room for me or not and I just said look if I come back I'll make sure I give you a call and maybe we can go out and and we did so I came back was a graduate assistant of course didn't didn't wait too long gave her a call and we started dating five years later we were married and uh and uh yeah so we yeah we got married uh, right before I was going to Kent and then uh, of course journeyed to uh, to Manhattan, Kansas. She was a teacher, uh, 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 a teacher and math teacher. And then uh, she got into Mary Kay and uh, worked her way up to being a national sales director for her last 10 years that she was with the company and uh, an incredible company um, just for women, for her family, for, our, for us. I mean, she drove a free Cadillac. She got a new free Cadillac every two years and insurance every two years for 20 years. That'll, that'll help a, uh, a family income or a assistant coach's salary. So, uh, so in the end, and like I said, her last 10 years, she was a national director, which is their top position and uh, just a fabulous company. So it was great for her. Great for our family. I share this with coach, but for those of y'all that don't know, uh, my first full-time job in sports was covering university of Oklahoma football. And one of my favorite memories along with this is Coach Stoops pulling up in a pink Cadillac and looking at the media core going, you guys got a problem? <laughs> what, 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 we got to talk about this? I don't think we got to, I don't think we got to talk about this. No, I'm, sir. No, I'm sir. We don't. I'm pretty secure in my masculinity. <laughs> well, hey, look, I've known enough women who have worked in that organization to know what that pink Cadillac represents, right? And it for us, it might as well be a Heisman Trophy, right? It all it might as well be in an All-America honor. So I don't want to gloss over it as if it's just a, a funny story. It's a tremendous achievement and not everybody gets it. Uh, Coach, I want to get back into your coaching journey. You're at Manhattan. You're having some success. You recruit this junior college linebacker out of Garden City by the name of Brent Venables. Turns out to be pretty good. When did you figure that you were going to be good as a defensive coordinator, let alone aspirations of being a head coach? Well, we started to have so much success defensively uh, there at Kansas State. Jim Levitt and I, you know, Jim Levitt is, uh, you know, the defensive uh, coordinator now um, at SMU. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, anyway, Jim's been a head coach, uh, has been at uh, Colorado, been at Oregon, you know, but Jim and I were co-coordinators together. And really in our last, when my last year together with he and I, we, we led the nation in, in, uh, total defense. And I think by one point we were second in scoring defense. 
And the, the years leading up to that, uh, we, we started to really hold people down, give people trouble. And uh, we were one of the early first people to get up and crowd everybody. Uh, we were bumping and running front. It looked like punt block. There would be 10 guys up there on everybody's nose and one guy back. And we'd even have our linebackers halfway in to blitz or not. And so we, we were the first ones to apply pressure like we did um, to get up and crowd every receiver. And we had the guys to do it. We recruited well and had secondary guys that could really bump and run. And in those days, the offenses hadn't caught up to it yet, how to deal with all the bump and run. So we, for several years there, we were, we led the big eight and we were in the top, you know, few in the country in, in defense almost every, you know, for the last probably three, four years that we were, you know, there at Kansas State. And, uh, and that's when, you know, then Coach Spurrier called me. Uh, well, hey, Coach, I, I, I want to jump in there because it's, it's an interesting note to me because there's a head, there's an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And I called it this gambit, and I can't remember his name. Do you? See the that, assistant coach that Steve Spurrier was saying that he was. Oh, it was it was Lost Lost in Holland. Thank you. Uh, sir. He had been he had been a, an assistant coach at Oklahoma State, and I had known Lawson from going on some golf uh, trips that assistant coaches went on. So Coach Spurrier couldn't get through to me. They wouldn't. They, no one would ever patch him through to me. <laughs> so he he said he was Lost in Holland Holland. Um, and uh, that he wanted to talk to me, but he he came clean soon as I got on the phone. He goes, "Well, Bobby, I got to tell you, I want to be truthful here." He goes, "I had to do whatever I could to get a hold of you." So he goes, "I said I was lost in Holland, anyway." And I, I didn't believe him at first. You know, I was. He said, "This is Steve Spurrier," and I'm kind of quiet. I'm like, "Ah, this is one of my buddies playing some kind of joke on me or something." You know, I'm. And then the more he talked, I had heard him enough on TV. I really, I didn't know Coach at all. I said, I, this really is Steve Spurrier, you know, and I, I'm not one of those guys who chases jobs. I didn't, I didn't even know they had a job open, you know? So, you know, we talked for probably 20, 30 minutes. He called me the next day. We talked again. He left me a voicemail at home and my wife's, she hears it. She goes, that's, is that the Steve Spurrier? I go, yeah. I go, <laughs> I go, I go you and I need to talk tonight. There, there's you know, this is about to happen. And, uh, and then, uh, anyhow, we worked it out. It was great. And, uh, you know, that was another huge break for me. We, we remain, you know, coaches like family, he and Jerry, his wife, are they're like family to Carol and I, and, um, you know, very close to this day. And, uh, fact here in a couple of weeks, I got to go on a, a golf trip to Pebble beach with them here in a couple of weeks. So uh, we oh, still got to go, huh? You yeah. got to go play Pebble <laughs> Beach, huh? Yeah, and we, we catch up in Florida quite a bit, too. We have places uh, there. I got a place there by coach on the beach. So um, so anyway, I was, uh, you know, and I emulated about everything we did at Oklahoma. I copied off of what we were doing, what Coach Spurrier was doing at Florida. And, and we're a lot of like personality wise, too. So it really helped me to be around him to realize I could be the way I am and still have success at the highest level. You know, no, some it, people, you know, so go ahead. No, that was, that was what I wanted to stress there is like, it felt to me just reading your story that you found you, it was okay to be Bob as opposed exactly. to being anybody else. That's right. And um, I'm not one of those that, 
you know, that I'm going to, I don't have to tell everybody how late I was at the office. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, if I figured it out by nine o'clock, why can't I go home at nine, eight, nine PM instead of 12 PM, you know, instead, or I mean 12, you know, at night. So at, at the end of the day, why, you know, um, we did what we needed to do. And, and I, uh, always felt confident in what we were doing and, um, and still worked hard at it. But but also found a way to have fun and include our families while we did it. You know, uh, we we had our families around a lot, had a lot of fun, laughed with any any poss- any chance I could, let the players laugh at me when whenever they could. You know, so you it didn't just about winning. I was able to have fun and enjoy it while I did it as well. So jumping forward to Oklahoma, but also the process of getting to Oklahoma, because as I understand it, you had a near miss with Minnesota. And you had a near miss with Iowa, but it felt like Oklahoma was smart and that they scheduled the interview before they scheduled the one you scheduled the one with Iowa, because it feels like if Iowa would have got in there first with at the time, I think the athletic director is Bob Bowlesby, who's also the big 12 commissioner today, you might've been going home. It was, it was to be considered. Uh, mm-hmm. Fortunately, the way it all worked out for everybody, because Kirk Ferentz is a great coach mm-hmm. and again, a, a very close and great friend of mine. And I'm glad he's done so well at Iowa and I, and I had success here at Oklahoma. So at the end of the day, Iowa never offered me a job. Mm-hmm. So I only had one job. You know, you say you, you say your prayers going into the interviews and I, my prayers were Lord, because it's Iowa and I have such a sentimental attachment there, you know, please give me, uh, you know, uh, you know, give me the right signals that, um, you know, that I'll do what's best for my family moving forward. You know, my mm-hmm. wife, Carol, and my family, and what'll be the best for all of us going forward. And I come out of the interview without an offer. I said, he didn't trust me to make a choice between the two, the good Lord. He said, this guy can't figure it out. Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so I only, I only had one job to take. And uh, fortunately it was a great one. And I knew it was, I, I knew, Oklahoma, though, they had had five, you know, really poor years and it was in disarray when we got here. It really was. Uh, I knew I said this still is a sleeping giant. This there's no way this should be this way. And if we do things the right way, we'll win. And uh, so anyhow, that fortunately through those interviews, it all worked out. And then the Minnesota one, too, was I was an assistant at Florida the year before I took the Oklahoma job. And no, it was after my first year in 96. We won the national championship at Florida and uh, coach just said to me, look, if, if, you know, things, if it isn't just perfect for you, he goes, we're not going bad. You're young. I was only uh, 30, uh, probably five at the time. He said, you're going to have more opportunities. Wait for the right one. And I I really had it in my heart. I didn't want to leave yet. I wanted to be around the program more, learn more from coach Spurrier and how we were doing things. So I wasn't anxious to just take a job, a head coaching job. And fortunately I waited for the the right one. And I, I, I got to get a dig in here at Texas because apparently there was this wild rumor that you were going to be the defense coordinator for Mac Brown. And you had to talk everybody, but coach Spurrier off a ledge about, I don't know the first thing about what they're doing in Texas. I don't even know why they're talking my name up. So I come back from a recruiting trip and my wife's, looks at me and she says, I can't believe you didn't tell me. I will. He goes, well, I go, what, what do you mean? I go, how could you not, you know, talk to me about this? It was just on, she goes, well, I go, what do you mean? 
I, she goes, you're going to take the defensive coordinator job at Texas with your good friend, Mac Brown. I, she goes, it was just on TV. I just watched it. I said, I said, watch what? I go, you saw a guy saying I was taking, I go, I haven't even talked to Texas. I go, they hired a guy. I go, I don't even know Mac Brown. I don't know Mac Brown. My good friend, Mac Brown. I go, <laughs> the whole story's crazy, you know? So it wasn't, so she finally realizes that it's all made up. And then coach Spurrier calls me and he's in Tampa uh, uh, recruiting with another coach. He says, Hey, Bobby, I hear you're going to Texas with your good buddy, Mac Brown. <laughs> and he's laughing about it. Of course, I don't have to convince him. It's all fake. He, you know, he'd been around enough to know how much stuff said about him. That isn't true. And we, you know, so that was my, maybe my wife's first realization that everything you hear or see isn't, isn't always true. In fact, often isn't, you know, when it comes to these kind of rumors anyway. So you accept the job at Oklahoma and you had never actually stepped foot on campus as head coach before taking the job. Like you'd obviously you coached against them. And I think the last time you, you were in Norman, you got a W with Kansas state when they were really humming along and then coach Snyder would do that again. But the reason I point that out is you were having to put together a staff on the fly for the first time what was that process like for you? Because I don't think we appreciate how difficult it is to find nine, 10 guys you trust. Oh, it was, it was really, I was smart that I took my time and got the right guys. Cause I had a great, I started off with a great, great, always had great staffs, but to hit it out of the park in your first one, that's a big deal. And uh, so it was difficult I mean, I mean, I, I was spinning that first month and I was hired December one and we had like three weeks before Christmas break and then you're not allowed to be on the road recruiting. So we had no, they left us not one bit of recruiting information anywhere, no commitments, not one bit of, not, not a board, zero. So um, I'm hiring coaches, trying to recruit, get in the door with recruits here in Oklahoma and Texas and I'm just swimming. And uh, first guy I hired is uh, Bobby Jack Wright. Uh, and I didn't know Bobby Jack, but uh, my brother Mike knew him. And I had already reached an agreement, which was key to me, that my brother Mike and Brent Venables were coming with me. And they were going to run our defense that I was used to, you know. And uh, and then Mark Mangino was going to come as the line coach. And uh, so I had those three right off the bat. And then I uh, – I hired, then I called Bobby, but they were still coaching at Kansas state and had to finish the year. So they're not with me. So I called Bobby Jack, Wright. I said, I'm not, I want to hire you. I don't, I go, I don't even know what position you're going to coach because Bobby's coached offense and defense. And he's one of those guys with all his experience. He's coached a bunch of spots because I said, I don't know how it'll all play out with the guys I want to hire. So I, I said, how fast can you, can you get here? He said, I'll be, I, I, this was at night when I talked to him, he goes, I'll be in that car at 5 a.m. And, and I'll be driving up. He, he was there that mid-morning from Austin, Texas at the time. And we, we pull every paper we could find, every, you know, internet, we, everything we could scour to start putting names on the board. And he knew Texas, like, you know, Bobby Jack was recruited Texas his whole life. He, he, he can go anywhere in Texas. He doesn't, to every high school, never pull out a map, never look for directions. So we, we, we sent him out where we got our board together and he and I just started piling, you know, diving into it. 
Then I hired guys like John, Jonathan Hayes was uh, cutting horses in Oklahoma City. Big Jonathan, that poor horse, you know, Jonathan, <laughs> six, six to, you know, 70, 65. But Jonathan was able to come right away. You know, he, he was living in Kansas City, played for the Chiefs for 12, 13 years as a tight end. I hired Jonathan as a tight end. And little by little, it just started piecing together. But it was, uh, man, it was, uh, I was swimming, just swimming, just trying to hire coaches and get in the door with recruits, you know, to start. Two, two coaches that stand out for me. Uh, the first one is uh, Schmitty, uh, Jerry Schmidt, to the folks that are uninitiated, because he was at Florida, and that felt like a tremendous win for you. It was huge. To- okay. We were good friends, and at Florida, really tight. But I never thought he'd leave Florida. But the reason he goes, he goes, he asked me, he goes, Bob, he goes, look, it's, he goes, um, you know, uh, he goes, my, my parents live right here in Nebraska and his wife's parents are right here in Texas. He goes, it's right between the two of me. It's perfect. I said, well, I never thought of that. You know, you think of family. So, um, so anyway, that was, you know, that was a big get, you know, Smitty came and I mean, he, and he, he came right away. He came within a week and uh, we, we at night, we'd be getting our recruiting board. We would have Smitty up on the board with the grease pen and we'd be firing names at him, you know, in this position, that position where they were located. And Smitty was huge though in, in getting us going. The other for me is coach Leach, uh, who is his own character altogether, but I'm interested as a defensive coordinator, what were you thinking in trying to hire the offense coordinator at Kentucky? Well, here's how it started. Uh, first guy I tried to hire was Turner Gill. I was trying to hire Turner at the time away from Nebraska to be our offensive coordinator. I wanted to run an offense similar to what Nebraska was doing. And Turner really thought about it for a long time, thought he was going to do it, and then he, he, he couldn't do it. He mm-hmm. said, no, nah, he turned me down. And then I was remember Kevin Rogers, uh, a longtime successful guy like Syracuse. And Kevin's also been a head coach and been a coordinator. And he was running, you know, the, the Syracuse offense, which had some option in it as well as throwing. And then uh, couldn't work it out with Kevin. And then I got to thinking, you know, the, the person, the team that always bothered me the most at Florida drove, drove me crazy was Kentucky. And I knew I knew I couldn't hire Hal Mummy, you know, mm-hmm. the, the head coach. He's not going to leave the head coaching job. So I and I knew then I got to researching Mike and I just knew him from saying hi to him before games. And he was a good guy. And but and I, I just thought, you know, I looked at Mike's history and he'd been with Hal. He knew this offense up and down. He'd been with him forever. So I, I called Hal and I said, could Mike Leach be in front of the team, command the respect, be the leader? and do the things you do, you know, with your offense? He goes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I goes, seriously, he's, he's, you know, you're, he goes, I don't hesitate at all, Bob. And he was right. Mike's a great guy, a great coach, um, leads in a different way, but his guys play and perform. And, uh, and he was perfect for us. Um, right off the bat, you know, he had all that history with Tim Couch and throwing the ball. So quarterbacks all of a sudden now, we couldn't get one to look at us. Now they're all want to come. So in that first, with I hired Mike, Nate Hibble transfers here. Mm-hmm. Jason White changes his commitment from going to 
Miami down in Florida to, to stay in home and here. And, uh, and, uh, the third one is, um, um, Jay White, Nate Hibble and, uh, Roy Williams. Uh, no, no, I'm quarterbacks. Um, quarterbacks. Uh, oh goodness. Heupel. Yeah. Yeah. What okay. Well, the one who wins the national championship. <laughs> well, I always said, if even though maybe talent wise, you know, Josh may not be the, the number one of all my guys, he's definitely the most valuable player I ever recruited. You know, when you look at his impact in those first two years and going undefeated, winning the national championship. So, yeah, so we get Heupel, who's, a, a, you know, won all kind of national awards and was runner up in the Heisman Trophy. Then you got Jay White, who's the most decorated player in Oklahoma history when you look at all his awards that he's won and a Heisman and Nate Hibble wins a big 12 championship and a Rose Bowl MVP all of those guys came at the same time so that's uh but it's, it was because we hired Mike Leach as you you started this whole conversation off you know what or this part of the conversation well coach uh I know we're nearing the end and I I appreciate you giving us this much time and, and I appreciate you because uh i don't i don't care about this team unless y'all had accomplished what y'all accomplished over those 18 years uh in the way that i care about this team but i need to ask you june 7 2017 is going to go down in in our history for as a very big deal but how did you know lincoln was going to be the guy and he was going to be this good right away oh i i you know i i knew it i just working side by side with them for three years you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I knew, I knew first, I knew matters to me as he's the, he, uh, the person he is, the family man he is, the person he is, the, you know, all those characteristics that make great men. And then, and then uh, the leader he is, and then, you know, and uh, the, you know, just the intelligence on top of it all. So I, I uh, yeah, I never would have done it had I not felt it was the right guy at the right time. And that, you know, is this is perfect for, for me to step out and not hurt the program whatsoever. Because you look around the country when people step out, it's not always, you know, things don't always just continue because we've seen it here. We've seen it. You look all over the place. But I, I, I knew strongly that, uh, you know, this, you know, Lincoln was the right guy and all the right and all the ways as a leader, you know, and, and, and all. And then, you know, and then there was support around him was strong, like all of it together, you know, just keep it, you know, keep it going and improve it. You know, we all try and do our little wrinkles and as you should, and times change, rules change. You got to keep up with them. And, and he has and does. And so I just, and he knows all, all I want is I, I hope he obliterates any records I got, you know, I'm, I don't care about all that. I just want to see us continue to win and, and, uh, and, and we will, you know, we're, we're Lincoln's going to always do it the right way and do it well. And he'll always have good people around him to do it that way. Coach Bob Stoops, who is my coach. I, I, I had to hear about folks who got to see coach Switzer do what he did. And he's a legend. I got to hear folks who saw Bud do what he did and he's a legend and coach you're mine. And I, I'm grateful that the kids following me have Lincoln to look forward to. I'm grateful for the way that you took over the program, the way you left the program. And I can't wait to watch you Saturdays at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Big Noon Kickoff with Rob, Reggie, Matt, and Brady. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. 
I appreciate it, RJ. Uh, great, great being with you here today. I'll make sure I'm watching. I'll be watching you every day now from now on. Are you on every day? I don't even know how it works. Yes, sir. I'm on every day. <laughs> I got to tell you, no, lately I'm, I'm getting more and more into podcasts. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Here in the last uh, several weeks, uh, a buddy said, look, why don't you? Yeah, it's like, hey, I, that's a lot better than, you know, listening to the same radio or station every day or the same uh, loop on your uh, on your iPhone, you know. So uh, anyhow, I'll be watching you. Appreciate it, RJ. Thank you. Hey, coach, you are welcome here anytime. You let me know. You got something you want to talk about. I'm down to do it. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, coach. Wasn't that awesome? What, what, wasn't that just the most awesome thing that we've ever done on this show? I mean, I look, we're going to have lots of big guests on the show, and I'm so here for that, but I don't know that we're going to get one bigger for me than Bob Stoops. I, I come up watching his teams. I come up loving the players he recruited. And I really learned and cut my teeth on college football, knowing what it was to be an Oklahoma fan. And that's a little bit different for some people than it is for others. Okay. So that was a highlight for me. And that's a milestone moment for me in this career and this journey for us that has been full of gifts like that one. All right. So in thinking about what coach Stoops had to say about putting together his first staff, at Oklahoma, the first staff he ever put together, I was thinking, who were the top five coaches on his tree? And I had to amend that, right? I had to amend that because it doesn't do the list justice because not all of the, what I think of as the best coaches that he ever hired have become head coaches. And you're going to understand that as we go through it. But before we get to the top five, I just need to name check Chuck Long because that dude was really good. Kevin Sumlin. Because that dude was also really good. And Jay Norvell, who held the co-offensive uh, coordinator role for a little bit of time, alongside one Josh Heupel, who's also really good, right? Those guys have become head coaches, but they don't make my list. And that's no disrespect. That's just the way I see it. Because at number five, we got to start with a guy who has made his career Oklahoma-centric, okay? Played quarterback at Oklahoma. His brother is the head coach at Oklahoma State, and he has been responsible for helping lure some of the most important and dynamic players in Oklahoma history to Norman. They include guys like DeMarco Murray, Adrian Peterson, among others. That's Kale Gundy, right, who has held many different roles at Oklahoma. One of those, right, recruiting coordinator, running back coach, here lately inside receivers coach, and has just been happy to be an assistant for two dudes, all of two dudes, at Oklahoma for the entirety of his career. You don't see that much. You don't see that really at all because, A, dudes get fired all the time in this profession, and, B, most guys want to move up. They might not be chasing jobs because Bob was never one to chase jobs, but definitely had an upward mobility and an upward trajectory, right? Before Oklahoma, he hadn't stayed anywhere longer than, I think, Kansas State, right, which is like seven years. And then like three years at Florida before the job at Oklahoma, uh, at Oklahoma. And he still never wanted to leave because there've been all those rumors about him being, you know, Cleveland Browns head coach because they suck or Dallas Cowboys coach when they suck. All these NFL teams, when they suck, they want to come get one of the best coaches of all time. Of course they do in college because the NFL thinks that college football is something like a feeder system for what they do. But that's another discussion altogether. Gundy's the guy famously 
told Adrian Peterson, look, you can join us or you can join the team that we're going to beat up on. It's up to you. And at the time, you don't say that even then to the number one player in the country, especially all day. You, you, you just don't say that. But all day heard it. It's like, nah, that's who I want to play for. I want to play for the team where I think they're probably going to be good anyway, right? Because it's a tremendous amount of responsibility and burden to be the top dude at any institution, especially when you don't think you have any help. But Gundy was so good at A, reading the situation, and B, helping build around the program so that you can invite a guy like Adrian Peterson and you can speak with a level of truth when you say, you join that other team, that's great. You're going to be great, but we're probably going to beat you. That's tremendous to me. So that's number five on the list. Number four on the list, still coaching today. No longer, uh, or not at present, is not a head coach. But I think you would agree, he's had pretty good success over the years. Okay, and that's Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson shows up at Oklahoma after basically mimicking what Mike Leach had done with the air raid at Northwestern and immediately comes in, offensive line coach, co-offensive coordinator, picks up what they're doing and puts together what was at the time the most prolific offense of all time, right? Like, period. Like, that 08 Oklahoma team is just stupid awesome. And you look at the guys that, that, that were on that team, not just Sam Bradford, but, oh, my gosh, if DeMarco Murray was healthy for that national championship game, probably talking about number eight in 08. It was that, he was that big a deal. But Wilson looked around and said, no, I got dudes. I got dudes, we're going to sling it, and we're going to go at warp speed. We're going to go fast. We're going to put up a bunch of yards. We're going to put up a bunch of points. And has had success as an assistant everywhere he's gone. There's that stretch to Indiana, but guess where he is now? Ohio State, coach of tight ends. He just had a tight end drafted, and that's, I think, a tremendous achievement at a place like Ohio State where they just didn't start using the tight ends, really, until the playoff. And he's got a great group there now, led by Jeremy Ruckert. I genuinely believe that Kevin Wilson is one of the better assistants that Bob Stoops has ever had. Certainly one of the best offensive coordinators in Oklahoma history. And remember, Barry Switzer was an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Mac Brown was an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. We know Lincoln Riley was an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Like, it's a hard list to be a part of, and I think he's there. Number three, another career assistant coach. It's the reason why it's really difficult for me to put together a coaching tree list because like I have to discount this man and this man has accomplished more as an assistant coach than I think most head coaches will do in a lifetime two lifetimes really comes out of Salina Kansas was so small undersized under recruited that he ends up at Juco at Garden City ends up earning his way onto the field at Kansas State playing for one Bob Stoops and Bill Snyder continues to work his tail off Ends up coaching linebackers at Oklahoma, rises to the level of co-defense coordinator, later defense coordinator, and is now over at Clemson. That's Brent Venables. Brent Venables is a maniacal, awesome human being, okay? So Rufus Alexander told me this story about learning what it was to play defense with Brent Venables. And it was, yo, this man would drink half a Gatorade, pop a Red Bull, dump the Red Bull into the Gatorade that was left, shake it up, chug it before practice. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's amped, right? You know that Coach Venables already, he has his own get-back coach. Like, usually you got one get-back coach for the whole sideline. Nah, 
Venable's got his own get back coach, and it is an oversized assistant strength coach who's responsible for grabbing him by his belt, pulling him back onto the sideline. And every single time he does it, you can see Venables swatting at his hand, talking about let me go because he's walking out on the field, not to yell at referees, but to coach up his dudes. And Rufus got a taste of that at practice. He would be getting yelled at, Rufus, move inside, move inside, move inside. And he'd take two steps in. That's too far. But go where I told you to go. So he finally lines up where Venables told him to go, gets off the ball, makes the play. He said that is how meticulous and how detail-oriented Brent Venables was and how detail-oriented you had to be to play for him. Matter of fact, toward the end of his career at Oklahoma, he was getting a reputation for having an overcomplicated defense. And we were like, yo, just, just line the boys up and let them play. Takes that overcomplicated defense to Clemson. Not only mops the floor with Oklahoma in the sweatpants bowl, but also wins a national title and another national title at Clemson, which means that Brent Venables has three national championships in less than 20 years. But all to say that Brent Venables has made a living as defense coordinator in Clemson, South Carolina. Now, if you're from Clemson, I apologize. But since you're one of 17,000 people that's from Clemson, you understand. Ain't nothing in Clemson, South Carolina, but you and that football program. For them to recruit and develop the way that they have is a marvel. It's not supposed to be done in this age. Spending is supposed to matter. It's why we always talk about Texas because they always have the most money. They always have the best facilities. And yet over there in Clemson, they're just doing it. And they keep putting out dudes every single year. And Venables has been content to stay there, which means that Dabble's doing a really great job of letting Venables do whatever Venables wants to do as long as he wants to be a coordinator. But every time we think there's a job that might entice Brent Venables, word quickly gets back, nah, he's happy at Clemson. And he's got a boy that's playing there now, so you kiss that idea goodbye. But that, for me, is the third best assistant Bob Stoops ever had. Shout out Brent Venables. I think absolutely outstanding man as well as coordinator. Number two on the list. The man that forced the Big 12 to change the way they do business, Mike Leach. So Mike Leach comes from Kentucky by way of Valdosta, by way of Iowa Wesleyan. Okay, so I asked Coach Stoops about it. You heard about it and, and who he wanted to hire before. And I thought that was interesting that he said, I was looking at Turner Gill at Nebraska. Now, ain't but like five schools in the country right now that run a triple option, like a true blue triple option kind of attack. Talk about the Citadel, talk about West Point, Air Force, Navy, Georgia Southern. It might be one that I'm forgetting about, right? But it just ain't what you do. And in the 90s, Nebraska was lighting people up with that thing. And then when you said that they couldn't do it, you had, you had the man Frazier just light Florida up in a game that mattered, throwing the ball all over the yard. But I thought that was interesting because that's what the Big 12 does at the time. You run I-formation, you run triple option, you try to emulate the team that is destroying you. And at the time, it was Oklahoma, Nebraska, and the Big 8. And then later is Nebraska to start the Big 12, and then later Oklahoma, right? But in going to get Mike Leach, you're bringing in a style of offense that even to this day, people don't think works. 
People still think the air raid is a gimmicky offense. I am an air raid truther. And I'm an air raid truther because of what Mike Leach was able to do win a national championship running that offense, but also because I'm a short king. I'm not going to beat you by being bigger and faster and stronger than you. I'm going to beat you with a math problem. And that's what the air raid was. And when Bob says, this is the one that made me so frustrated, he built his defenses around bigger, faster, stronger. He built his defenses around bump and, mu- bump and run, which is man coverage. And the air raid uses that against you. And that way it's kind of like ju- jujitsu. Because it's like, okay, cool. We're just going to run crossing routes. And we're going to run quick routes. And we're just going to make it really difficult for you to move around and feel like you can use your athleticism. And then you combine that with elite athletes. And all of a sudden, you're destroying people putting up five, 600 yards a game. And you're putting up 50 points a game. Light Leach takes that offense to Tech, beats up Texas, rises to number two in the country while at Tech as head coach, changed the way that Oklahoma did business, and then Bob let him. Like, full marks to Bob Stoops, who did early what we have been begging Kirby Smart to do for years, which is to say, let the offensive coordinator coach the offense. Forget what you're, just focus on the defense, play defense. Let that offensive coordinator do his job. And Mike Leach and Swing Your Sword gives him full credit for this. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna read it for you because I took time to go find it. It's page 95, you keep uh, keep track here. It's rare for a head coach to give an assistant so much autonomy, especially one whose scheme and system is so different from what he's used to. Bob understood that you hire good people and then you let them do their jobs. I realized that as a head coach, the temptation to meddle is there, but you have to make a decision ahead of time that you won't. A lot of head coaches don't have the backbone to do that. And even if they do, they probably can't resist the temptation. Had I not been convinced that Bob wouldn't meddle, I wouldn't have taken the job. Yo, you got to trust the people that you hire. You got to trust that you hired the right people. And Bob, I think, has that in so many ways. And you look at it and look at all the talent that he's helped raise up and then said, hey, you want to take another job? That's fine. That's what I'm here for. I think you look at Steve Spurrier and you can see that. Like when Bob first got the job and tells a story in his book of getting to Florida, they line up one-on-one. And it was Steve who called the offense, Bob called the defense, good on good. And they scored touchdown after touchdown after touchdown on Bob Stoops' defense. So much so that in classic Spurrier's joking way, hey, Bob, or Bobby is what he called him because don't nobody call anybody, call Bob, Bob Bobby after basically the 96 media guy comes out and says Bob Stoops. And I don't, I don't know the answers to it from anybody except his wife. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You might try it, but I'm not going to try it. He said, Bobby, you think we're going to force a punt this year? And, and, you know, Bob was flustered because Bob is about doing things the right way, doing it in a way that makes sense. Do your job, go home. He did not like getting beat up like they were getting beat up. And Spurrier realized that about Bob and then let Bob be Bob, right? Said, you coach the defense. We're going to be all right. You're not going to see any offense like ours all year. I promise you. And they didn't, right? They ended up winning the national championship. So Bob's actually got two national championships when people tried to give him the one. Anyway. The number one assistant on this list for me that Bob Stoops ever hired for all time, Lincoln Riley. 
you know the resume. You know what he has accomplished, not just as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator. You have Baker Mayfield win a Heisman Trophy, the only walk-on to do so. That same year, he had a Heisman finalist in Didi Westbrook at wide receiver. He's got a guy who wins the Heisman Trophy in his only year at Oklahoma and becomes number one overall pick along with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts comes here for all of, you know, what, a year? Ends up being a second-round draft pick to the Philadelphia Eagles, and all signs point to him being the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. That means that Lincoln Riley will have groomed three of the 32 starters in the NFL today, and perhaps his most talented recruit outside of Murray is playing quarterback for him right now. When you look at how Lincoln took over the program, and you look at how the assistant coaches responded to Lincoln taking over the program. I don't think you could have found a better successor for the University of Oklahoma. And even I was skeptical, right? Because a hotshot coordinator is a hotshot coordinator. Didn't really know what Lincoln was made of. And, and you know what? At 33, same age I am right now, what do people expect from you? If anything, people doubt you. People want to know what you're doing here. They want to know, why you? There are guys twice your age who should have this job. Lincoln was Lincoln the whole time. He has done nothing but win. He's done nothing but present his program and himself with great respect, which didn't know was going to be that hard and turns out is extremely hard. And he has the program the last four years in a position to pursue national championships and as OU fans of a certain age will know, that ain't guaranteed. You can only ride off of your reputation for so long before your reputation no longer matters. Oklahoma got a taste of that in the 90s. Don't want anything like it. Because I think the one thing that I think is true about being an OU fan is that if you're born in my generation, you're kind of spoiled. We don't really know what it is to suck at college football. We, we can't fathom it. So much so that we will lose our minds, lose five games in a season. Don't know. We got to use the pressure points. We got a woo-saw. And even that's not going to be enough. And Lincoln understands that right away. He understands the monster is fed. He coaches his kids to say, hey, last year's team is last year's team. Y'all didn't do anything. Y'all haven't done jack. Y'all got to go earn that, right? I don't want to see any of this conversation about what y'all did the years before, even from the upperclassmen. This is a new team. This is 2021. What are you going to do in 2021? What have you done for me lately? Keeps you humble, keeps you hungry. I love that. And I love that Bob recognized a little bit of the Youngstown way and the kid from Muleshoe, Texas, who was told you don't have the arm to play at Texas Tech, but you can be a student assistant and then put his, I think, photographic memory to work doing exactly that. So those are my top five assistants hired by Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. Please argue with me about it on the Twitters at RJ underscore young. You can follow the show on the Twitters. I saw that verified badge. I see we coming up. See, look at that. Took, took me, took me 12 years to get to verified. Took the show all of what? Four weeks. No, that's how big a deal the show is becoming. That's because of you. That's because you're paying attention. That's because you listen to it. That's because you like what we're doing here. But if that's never not the case, see what I mean? I'm an English major with two double negatives there. Please let us know. Let us know what we can do better. We want to make a great show. We want to make a show that is for fans. And obviously, I'm a fan. 
and I care about this sport in a ridiculous way. You can also like the page on Facebook at the number one ranked show. You can follow it on IG as well, where they also got the verified badge, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Like I'm telling you, it's a big deal to the socials that we in here, because that's what this is, right? We are here. And I think this is the best example of just what that means with Coach Stoops coming through to give us some of his time. All right, just to remind you guys, this is going to be the cadence up until about media days. Each Monday, you'll find something new. Herm Edwards coming up on deck, working on some other big time guests. We're going to do a little bit something different on the channel. I'm going to try to build around these shows, talk about these teams and these coaches that we're talking to. Please, if you're on the podcast app, take a moment, leave a five-star review, right? Let us know what you think. Be on the lookout on the socials for what we think is a good question to ask you. Be on the lookout to respond to that question. And if it's a good answer, we'll feature on the show and I will take it on right here on the number one ranked show. That is it for me. Doses.